Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 309. It's titled, Investments to Fight Financial Repression. A couple of weeks ago, on August 4th, the U.S. 10-year Treasury bond hit an all-time low yield of 0.52%. It's a little higher than that now, about 0.64%. Yet if we look at an equal weighted composite of 10-year government bonds that includes Canada, the Eurozone, Japan, Switzerland, the UK, and the US, that composite interest rate is 0.3%. If we include corporate bonds and mortgage-backed securities, the global aggregate bond yield is 0.8%, an all-time low. Now, those are nominal yields that supposedly take into account the potential inflation. But those rates are lower than what inflation has been over the past few years. Treasury inflation protection securities have a negative yield. That's the real yield. The 10-year tip is yielding negative 1%. Global central banks have set their interest rates at all-time low. A composite of global central banks the average short-term policy rate is 1.35%. That's down from 2.4% in July 2019. Most developed countries have set their policy rate at zero. As investors, if we are not able to generate a return that is greater than inflation, then our investments lose purchasing power over time. If central banks are implementing policies to keep interest rates low, policies that benefit debtors, borrowers, because they can borrow cheap at the expense of savers that aren't able to earn even the rate of inflation on their savings, that is what is known as financial repression. It's policies by central banks that hold down borrowing costs. These can be traditional monetary policy tools, such as setting the short-term policy rate, or it could be unconventional monetary policy, such as quantitative easing, where central banks purchase government bonds or other bonds in order to put downward pressure on interest rates because they're constantly buying bonds. It could be yield curve control, stating that they will buy as many bonds as possible to keep longer-term rates low. It could be what the Federal Reserve indicates that they might do, more explicit forward guidance. In their June Federal Open Market Committee meeting, the minute said that it will be important in coming months for the FOMC to provide greater clarity regarding the likely path of the federal funds rate and asset purchases. 
and that a number of the participants were in favor of forward guidance tied to inflation outcomes, that could possibly entail a modest temporary overshooting of the 2% target. What does that mean? The Federal Reserve has a target for inflation of 2%. They set their short-term policy rate, which is known as the federal funds rate, at a level that they believe that unemployment will stay low, but not too low, that it starts to put pressure on wages and potentially inflation. And at a level that's low enough that households and businesses want to borrow to buy things, to invest in capital projects to help the economy grow. But they're saying that they'll keep that policy rate low, even if inflation exceeds the 2% target for a time, so that the average inflation rate is about 2%. The most recent inflation rate in the U.S. was 0.6%. If we exclude food and energy, the inflation rate was 1.2%. That was through the end of June 2020. The average inflation rate for the 37 countries that make up the OECD, year-over-year inflation was 1.1%. If we exclude food and energy, it was 1.6%. Average world inflation from 2010 to 2019 was about 3.3%. 1.5% for developed markets, 4.3% for emerging markets. Now, we've discussed whether inflation is measured wrong, most recently in an episode last October titled, is inflation measured wrong? But generally, inflation has been low, and interest rates have been low and getting lower. Central banks have set their policy rate low. Interest rates are based on what investors expect future short-term rates will be, what inflation will be, and an additional term premium, which represents compensation that investors want in case inflation comes in higher than expected, in case central banks raise interest rates faster and higher than expected. Interest rates are interesting in that the level is set by market participants, but clearly influenced by central banks. We are in a period of financial repression. Central banks have been extremely active in keeping interest rates down, not because they're trying to harm savers. They believe that's what the rate should be. They're trying to match their policy rate to something called the neutral interest rate or the neutral real interest rate. That rate is unobservable, but it's the level of short-term real interest rates where they believe that unemployment will get to a level where it won't lead to higher inflation and that there's enough people willing to borrow at those rates to invest in the economy. They're not sure what that rate is, but they believe it's fallen. And it's lower than it was. If we look at economic growth, which is a measure of the monetary value of output produced by businesses, longer term, it's influenced by the growth in the labor force, are there more workers, and by productivity. Are workers able to produce more by using technology and other tools? by being more efficient. If we look at the U.S. economy, going back to the 1950s, the average annual productivity increase was 2.1%. And the labor force increased on average by 1.4%. Combined, that's about a 3.5% increase. 
which is about what the economy has done. If we look at the past five years, though, productivity in the U.S. has averaged 1.2%, and the labor force has only increased 0.7%. So combined, that's only 1.9%, much lower than that 3.5% average. Developed markets overall have grown productivity only 0.7% over the past five years on average. The labor force has only increased 0.8% per year for the five-year average. Now, that is through March 31st, even before the brunt of the pandemic economic turmoil hit. If productivity is low, is labor force growth is low, then real GDP will be low and interest rates will also tend to be lower. Going back to the 1950s, the U.S. 10-year Treasury has usually yielded less than nominal GDP growth, so the growth in the economy taking into account inflation. An exception was during the higher inflation periods of the 1980s and 90s. But unless the economy is growing faster, interest rates will be lower. Central banks are worried about deflation, falling prices, just as much as they worry about inflation. Inflation and deflation have a behavioral aspect. If households and businesses expect inflation, they tend to hoard goods. They want to buy things before prices rise. If households and businesses expect deflation, they don't want to spend. They want to wait for prices to fall. The money supply impacts inflation and deflation. If banks are increasing their amount of lending, that drives most of the money supply increase. As households and businesses borrow, they spend that money. They buy goods and services. As more and more money is created through bank lending, that can lead to capacity constraints. Products get sold out. Inputs used to manufacture goods and services get more expensive because there's greater demand. And then if inflation starts to creep up, that's where behavior changes. There is an idea of inflation anchoring, anchoring the expectations of households and businesses as to what inflation will be in the future. I don't know what inflation will be in the future. Right now, if we look at the price of Treasury Inflation Protection Securities, they are priced at a level that expects inflation will be 1.6% per year over the next decade. We don't know. What we do know today, though, is that we are being financially repressed in that market interest rates are lower than expected inflation. And the way to fight financial repression is to earn more than the inflation rate. That's known as earning a positive real return. I want to go through a list of investments that I have purchased in the past six months, some of which I have recommended on Money for the Rest of Us Plus to fight financial repression. I'll start with the least risky up to the most risky. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. 
You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. The least risky is only available to U.S. investors. It's I-bonds. These are savings bonds that are protected against inflation. It can be bought through the Treasury Direct website. Unfortunately, each individual is only allowed to buy $10,000 per year, but as a couple, you can purchase $20,000 per year, and an additional amount if you get your tax refund, you can buy I-bonds with it. What is great about I-bonds compared to Treasury Inflation Protection Securities is that the fixed rate, the rate before the inflation adjustment, can never go below zero. TIPS, for example, U.S. Treasury sold $14 billion worth of 10-year TIPS in July 2020 at a yield of negative 0.9%. The fixed yield on I-bonds is 0.56%. That is through October. It will be adjusted in October. It will more than likely be marked down to zero, but then you get the inflation adjustment on top of that. So you don't have to deal with negative real yields with I-bonds. You also don't have to worry about price fluctuations with I-bonds like you have with TIPS. On the Money for the Rest of Us website, there's a complete guide to investing in TIPS and I-bonds, and you can learn more about this asset class. I bought my first I-bond back in April, and I will buy more because it's a way to fight financial repression. Another investment that we recently made a Money for the Rest of Us Plus is to use active bond managers that can structure a portfolio to generate a positive real return. Right now, if you bought the overall U.S. bond market, such as the Vanguard Total Bond Market 
index ETF, it yields 1.2%, less than inflation. By using an active bond manager, you can find a manager that is more selective in the bonds, can buy higher yielding bonds with some higher credit risk. They can invest in structured securities, asset-backed securities. But there are some bond managers out there that do have a higher yield than inflation. Another investment that I've made in the past six months and recommended on Money for the Rest of Us Plus is preferred stock. A preferred stock ETF right now yields about 4.7%. I've bought individual preferred stocks recently that yield close to 7%. Preferred stock have a higher dividend yield than common stocks. They have a stated dividend rate, but their prices can fluctuate and do fluctuate as interest rates change. If interest rates would go up sharply, the value of preferred stocks could fall, and preferred stocks also fall when common stocks fall. They sell off. The maximum drawdown for preferred stocks, the worst case loss, is about 26%. So they're not, by any means, principal protected like an I-bond. And you will lose more with preferred stock than you would with an active bond manager, some of which are yielding 2 to 3%, as opposed to 45 to 7% for preferred stock. So there is more risk there. Another investment that I have made recently is an investment that harvests what is known as the volatility risk premium. The volatility risk premium represents compensation investors receive for bearing the risk of higher volatility and market losses. There are investors that want to protect against market losses, and they do that by buying put options. Put options are a derivative security that go up in price when the asset that the put option is written on goes down in price. So you can buy put options on the S&P 500 index that can protect against market losses. They're expensive because one of the things with put options is the implied volatility that influences the price of options tends to be higher than what the actual volatility is. Investors are willing to pay a lot for that protection. If you're harvesting the volatility risk premium, you're selling options. So I invested in the Wisdom Tree CBOE Put Right Strategy ETF, PUTW. This is an income strategy that sells or writes 30-day put options at the current level of the S&P 500. So anytime the S&P 500 falls during a given month, this strategy loses money. But then the month ends and the strategy sells another put option and generates a lot of income from that. This is sort of counterintuitive. It's like, why would we invest in that? Well, the long-term return of this strategy is 55 to 6.5%. And the worst case loss from September 2008 to March 2009 was 36%, compared to the overall stock market where the maximum drawdown was 60%. So lower potential losses, but the ability to generate income. What I like about this strategy is it's not tied to interest rates, per se. It's tied to the level of fear in the market, the volatility. It's a different return driver that's simply selling these options every month and recognizing that in down months, you'll lose money. 
I don't have much invested in this strategy, but it is another way to fight financial repression. A final investment to fight financial repression is dividend-paying stocks, including real estate investment trust. 80% of S&P 500 stocks have a dividend yield higher than the 10-year Treasury yield right now. The average going back to 1974 is 23%. There are stocks and baskets of stocks that have a higher dividend yield than expected inflation. If inflation expectation is 1.5%, there are dividend yield ETFs that have dividend yields of over 3%. Real estate investment trusts have a dividend yield of close to 4%. On Money for the Rest of Us, there's a free guide, a complete guide to equity real estate investment trusts that I released last week. All of these strategies are focused on can we generate income, cash flow, greater than the expected rate of inflation so that we can earn a real return. Hopefully buying the overall stock market will generate a return greater than inflation. It has historically done so, had a positive real return. But in this episode, with regards to investments that fight financial repression, we're focused on those that can generate cash flow greater than the expected rate of inflation. Those include I-bonds, active fixed income mutual funds, preferred stock, strategies that harvest the volatility risk premium, and dividend-paying stocks. This is a frustrating time to invest. It's possible interest rates will remain very low for years to come. It will require us to have to save more, to be more nimble in our investing, to look at asset classes that we might not have invested in before. To learn more about something like preferred stock, where I'll be releasing a new video this week on that asset class for Plus members. We can get through this. The financial repression, I do not believe that central banks are trying to hold us hostage, even though as savers, we're subsidizing borrowers. Central bankers are trying to combat the deep recession caused by the coronavirus pandemic. They're doing whatever it takes, what they can do. But there's consequences and potentially unintended consequences of this. That's the environment we're investing in. Hopefully some of these suggestions will be helpful to you as you fight financial repression. That's episode 309. You can get show notes, including links to some of those guides that I mentioned on the Money for the Rest of Us website, moneyfortherestofus.com. While you're there, please sign up for my free insider's guide. This is a weekly email newsletter where I include the links discussed in that week's episode and include an essay on money, investing, and the economy. Some of the best writing I do each week only goes to that free insider's guide email list. You can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I'm not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.